Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I have got a young gun on the show again. It's been a bit of a theme recently with some of these recent graduates of the trainee program here in Australia that are killing it out there. So I have a, uh, a, a young gun on the call today. So who have I got on the podcast today? Hey Brent, it's uh, Asha Hargraves joining today. Um, Brisbane Golf Club is where I'm working and I'm currently the Women and Junior Development Manager up uh, up the north side of Queensland. Awesome, Asha. It's good to have you on the call. I definitely won't hold you being in Queensland against you because <laughs> um, we've had some cold days down here recently, so I'm sure you're not dealing with any, any of that ordinary. I love, love some cold weather up here. Uh, it would be absolutely great because it's been boiling. I had jumpers on in February, which is not acceptable. It's just not how it should be in Australia, and it not was at just all. it was just crazy. So, no, it's been it's been good since then, but just the last little bit, it's been been ordinary. So, I've got so much to cover with you because you've got such a, a really a really cool story. Um, obviously, being a woman in golf has its challenges, I'm sure as well. So, I'm keen to touch on that. I'm keen yeah. to touch on your story as a junior and the stuff that you're doing now. And, and we'll also talk about the, the trainee program and your experiences going through that. Um, just don't pick on me too much when you when you start talking about the trainee program. <laughs> I was involved when you were going through, so don't give me too much of a hard time. I'll try my best. I'll try my best. So explain to the people tuning into the show what the places that you grew up in and what golf was like where you grew up. Yeah, so um, I started golf when I was 12 back in Darwin, so the Northern Territory. And going through, I guess, my junior years, there was about seven juniors, like seven really solid juniors that would compete and contend at uh, events. So we were a very close-knit group. In terms of the clubs that we had access to, there was obviously Darwin. There's another 18-hole course, Palmerston. And then other than that, it was really Alice Springs, which was about 1,400 Ks away. So to play other courses was obviously a challenge in itself. Um, but, yeah, it, it was quite interesting. I guess we didn't really know what was out there in terms of golf and everything like that, so we just did what we could and uh, developed around there and took each other's drinks every Friday night when you lost the nearest to pin comp or something like that. But it was it was very much a little close-knit society, I guess, with the juniors that I grew up with um, and that bled through. I actually injured my back when I was about 16, so I had three years off off of golf and made a bit of a return when I was 19. And again, going through there, different kids but same kind of seven seven or eight that were really close and trained together and practiced together and um at 21 I kind of sat down with my coach at the time who's still a big brother to me to this day and we said you've got to go and we booked a one-way ticket and left left to go to Brisbane uh August 2016 um wasn't in the program of the traineeship had actually just applied so we were going through the trainee rounds didn't have a job i had a place to live for a couple of weeks and that was that was kind of how it all started i guess okay so just to go back to the, the junior golf 
seven kids in the group, and now I, I get what it's like. We were, I was, I grew up in the country as well, so we didn't have um, a huge group of juniors. But it was nice yeah. to have that that group of kids to play with and practice with and, and train with. But seven's a pretty small group, and I'm tipping you were the only girl in the group. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the first time going through, there was a couple of us, but a couple obviously dropped off and that kind of thing. So there was. I guess two distinct groups. There was one when I was about 13 to 15 and then obviously one when I came back. Um, I was definitely one of the girls. There was another one as well, um, Jade, who's also gone through the traineeship now. She was in the second kind of part of it. Um, but, yeah, like there was obviously a big age gap. I was quite older in comparison to the rest. So I I was a bit of a lone wolf. I kind of knew that if I wanted to be good I had to stick to my guns and trust my instinct and regardless of what everyone else kind of did trained how I needed to to get where I had to be next so you created some really cool I guess relationships with those that were in it and to this day um, you know Anthony Quayle from the NT so we would catch up every June July school holidays and um, train together through one of the mid-year clinics um, there's a fair few that went on younger age to go down to Melbourne and compete uh, and moved down there and kind of developed their golf as well. So, And then I think a couple of us have also finished the traineeship now, which is surprising to see with the minimal numbers we had, how far we actually stretched it ourselves out, which is really cool. It is. It is really cool. I was, I was curious, uh, how, did, how did you find, because you said you didn't have much access to other golf courses, so you're playing on the same course all the time and I'm assuming there wasn't too much competition, so to speak, where you could go off and travel and play junior tournaments. How did you, how did you, how did you push yourself to improve if you didn't have access to those type of comps? Yeah, so I guess the, the first part, obviously as a junior we got to travel a little bit more, so we did get thrown into the deep end of some events and I guess – Looking back now, I would say I probably didn't take them or appreciate and take the learning out of each of the things we went to. Um, as I got into that older phase, though, I I had a really good game plan. And like I said before, I was kind of like the single one out. So I just I had a goal to be the best in the NT and that was that was it. Everything I did, every way I trained, my coach was a very big realist to me and he sat me down and he'd say that, you know, you've got to be good at short game. He goes, you're not going to hit it that far. You, For the hours you spend on the driving range, it's actually not going to help you considering how small you are. He goes, be a weapon with your wedges. And I trusted everything that he ever said to me and that's what I did. And I would train 10 hours a week to be the best at short game and had that confidence that when I walked into all of those events, it was kind of like, okay, game on. That makes sense. Uh, um, um, again, you, I'm sure you're long. You've got to be what five foot one, five foot two, without. Ah, uh, there <laughs> might there might be a four in front actually. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's um, a four. I'm sure people have seen the promo clips and have seen your your photo on those promo clips. So they'll see <laughs> that um, you're not the the tallest person floating around. But yeah. um, it sounds yeah. like you had some good coaching. So what was coaching like when you were a kid? Did you was it group stuff? Was it private lessons? It, it was a bit of both. We obviously had state training up there, but it wasn't to the extent that I guess coaching ever is now. I mean, coaching back in the day used to be we stand on a range and hit balls. It wasn't as much. Um, 
competitive or outcome-based training that you see a lot of now with these training programs. Um, I had obviously my coach, Kurt, so we I would see him weekly for lessons. We did training plans. It was very personal to me, which is kind of what I needed. I needed that structure, the accountability from him. Um, but, yeah, the resources and such, you know, there was no track man, there was no 3D, there was there was alignment sticks and buckets and really going back kind of, I guess, old school to an extent to, yeah, go with coaching. I've, I've seen I've seen a quote with you and I'll, I'll cover it further when we start talking about your programs where I've seen you. I've seen your quotes about your junior programs and you're keen to give juniors experiences that you didn't have as a as a kid going through. So that's a that's a pretty cool goal yeah. to have. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's nothing against like I I could never find the coach that I had. So um and like I said to this day we're still really really good friends. But how you look at coaching now and you I'm very fortunate that I got to see a bit of the QAS up here so the Queensland Academy of Sport and how they trained to what how we did it it was just a different level you just get blown away with the access to the resources they have down here and if if we had that at our age or at 13 when we first started it makes you wonder what could have been possible really yeah yeah now I'm, I'm gonna throw a standard question at you because I ask everyone that's from Queensland this because um and this is People have tuned into the podcast before have heard me say this. When I went to Queensland to play tournaments when I was trying to be a superstar, I had no idea what I was doing on the greens up there because I can't play on those type of greens. How did you go going going south and playing on the faster type greens? Did you get down here as opposed to where you, what, what you're playing on up there? Look, I, I was a pretty ignorant golfer, I reckon. I, uh, I was the same. I was the same. Yeah, I like. I still, when I teach clinics now, I'll explain grain. And I remember Dad saying to me, like, looking at the hole one day, and I'd be like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm looking at the grain." I'm like, "What's that?" And <laughs> I, I was pretty oblivious to kind of, you know, he'd be like, "How do you know you're gonna? Where are you gonna land this?" I said, "I don't know." Well, how do you know it's gonna go there? I said, "Trust me, I know how. So I know it's gonna go." I just had no kind of play into it, I guess. So, um. Coming down here, I I don't know. I just retrained it, I guess. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't – to me, I didn't actually think too much about it. I knew there was different courses and that. But, again, I was pretty um, – probably unexperienced would be the word. Um, mm-hmm. as, a, as an athlete and as an amateur, I never really – you know, we'd get videos of our swings and I'd, I'd look at it and go, what's that mean? Like I was pretty – you just tell me what to do and I'll do it kind of thing as opposed to really go into depth on myself. So going through the traineeship was a completely different thing um, yeah. in comparison and even listening to some of the other trainees, it, it was, you know, oh, yeah, I've been watching videos and doing this and I'm like, oh, God, I felt so far behind. It wasn't funny. Um, but, but yeah, you live, you learn and, uh, yeah, I guess I was a pretty, yeah, ignorant kind of amateur for a bit there. I don't think it's a bad thing though, is it? If you if you're playing purely on your talent and instinct, yeah, it can't be a bad thing. I wouldn't have thought. No, and, and I guess now, like I obviously don't play as much as I used to, and I don't train as lot as I used to. But I'm a lot smarter, so I can still go out there and put something together by thinking the problem solving and thinking, okay, how does this actually work? Whereas before, it was just like monkey see, monkey do kind of thing, and not actually. If someone said, well, why are you doing that? I'd be like, because my coach told me. Not because if I do this, this will happen and that's their end result. 
um, kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, a lot more trained now, I guess. Now, just while, while I'm thinking of it, I'll ask, how do you think that's had a had a role to play in how you coach now? How, how do you think that's had a – I'm sure it's had a – a twist of how you how you coach the game now. So, talk me through how you think that's influenced how you coach. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer of teaching why. I think that if you're a good coach, you'll actually see your clients less because they will actually be able to understand their own swing better and be able to, I guess, decipher things without relying on you. Um, so for me, I'm a big believer of explaining exactly why things do happen and don't happen um and I make it really simple like I one of the things I always ask someone is what sport they've played because if they've played a sport that I can at least link their golf swing back to the the alignment and resonation of it to them is so much easier so if you've got I've got a tennis player at the moment and they're like what am I doing I'm like well right now you're hitting a slice so I said think about how you do that with a tennis shot she goes, okay, you'd open the open the racket, you'd drop it down. I said, right. And I said, now how does Novak Djokovic hit a forehand? And they're like, okay, big, you know, hips through, release the hands. And that to them resonates really, really well. Um, doesn't work for everybody, but, you know, giving them something that they understand in their own life makes, for me, makes it a lot easier. Yeah, that's cool. Do you find that you have to tweak your coaching styles based on who's standing in front of you? Yes, I. It's probably something I haven't really looked as much into, um, but yeah, I I know that an elite level golfer needs to be seen well, not seen differently, but spoken to I guess slightly differently, and we can go into a little bit more in depth conversation um, as opposed to a junior or a lady or just a general club golfer as well. Some people want to know more, and some people go just you know one two things and you sit there afterwards and go was that a good lesson you know and they and they go oh that was brilliant and you're like okay then so what I want out of them versus what they want can sometimes be a little different um but I guess I just want the best for them so I always you know try and reach it higher and you know they they may think that halfway there is perfect for them so which is really cool as well just kind of highlights to me that it's important to keep those communication lines open, isn't it? You have to be giving those giving those clients what they want, not what you think they need. Um, it can be hard sometimes as a coach. Yeah, and, and I think that in the end, they're coming to us for a service and they are paying us for something. And yes, there's twofold. There is the person that I want you to fix my slice. Um and if you're honest with them and break it down and go, look, this is going to be a process, not just a Band-Aid, like we need to break this and do it again, are you ready to do that? Um, then they might be okay with that. So as long as you communicate at the start what the intentions are and the reality of what's actually going to happen, um, generally the clients are a lot happier that you've actually done that at the start because if you go in and go, yeah, I'm just going to do this and they're still hitting that slice, to them they haven't had a good experience. But if they know that, it is going to take a little bit of time, we're going to do this and do that, then overall they know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, awesome. Now explain to me what what the feelings were like for you stepping out of your comfort zone essentially and shifting away from home to start the trainee program, but you weren't even guaranteed of being in the trainee program when you moved, you told me early on. So was that a scary experience for you? Um, 
I don't know. I was actually really excited. I looked at it. I tried to look at things as an opportunity and between myself and um, my coach, we kind of agreed that I'd done what I needed to do in Darwin. So for me to get better at what I wanted to, I had to leave. And I always had that in the back of my head going, no, I needed to do this because, you know, um, to get better at what I wanted to do, it was just part of the process. So, yeah, obviously didn't uh, didn't know even the courses we were playing, hadn't had practice rounds, had never played a Queensland course. Um, that was a little bit daunting. Got pretty emotional. Even I think I even cried in my interviews for my PGA training. Okay. <laughs> That was entertaining. Um, I remember Justin Maker was actually there at the time and he'd known me from when I was a little girl. And he goes, yeah, I've never had someone cry in this, but uh, it's good. I put my heart on my sleeve that day, that's for sure. Justin's a pretty scary guy, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that, so did you, you obviously went through and passed first time through your playing test? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I know that the playing was a bit of a tough one for them, but I think, because I had moved and they even said in the interview, you know, what happens if you don't make it? Do you go back? And I said, no. I said, this is it now. Um, so whether that was the pushover, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, obviously made it first first time round and then started my traineeship in the Gold Coast uh, and soon realised that what I wanted to do and where I was weren't really aligned together. So I was fortunate enough to obviously meet the director of golf at Brisbane, had a chat with him and within a couple of days he said when do you want to start so that to me was everything I wanted yeah nice so talk me through the experience in the in the trainee program tell me the positives the bad things about it I'm sure you've got we don't bad have enough time Brent seriously <laughs> no I'm always, I'm always curious to get because it's a different program to the one that I did when I was yeah. going through um, yeah. It's changed a lot and it's even changed again since you finished. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, so I'm always curious to get people's thoughts on what they thought the program was like and whether they enjoyed it or not. Um, I've yeah. got my thoughts on you as a trainee <laughs> and uh, I've, I've had the same kind of chat with a few of the, the females that have been on the podcast that are yeah. fairly recent graduates. So Look, I'm just curious. How you, did you yeah. find it challenging? Did you find it easy? It was brutal. It was brutal but it needed to be. I think that um, – I my intentions going in was never to play it was always to coach and the academics was obviously a big part for me because I wanted to learn and I wanted to do it all the best that I could do because that's I only know that I only know trying to do everything as good as I ever can so um it was brutal <laughs> not gonna lie uh I left my playing till the last year uh to the point where it really affected me. I'd go numb every morning on a Monday before an event. I'd freak out. Uh, I had to even get into the Golf Australia psychologist because I looked at um, my boss and said, I'm not going to be able to do this. I said, they're going to lose me because the pressure of the playing actually really, really got to me. And considering I never wanted to play it, it hurt a bit, I guess. Um, but, yeah, like it was, I think, it needed to be hard because you got the best out of the bunch that went through. Um, so to me, I would rather, yeah, I'd rather it be hard and be a struggle than it be it have been easy for me, I guess, or easy for all of us to go through. So um, the assignments were good, but yeah, in the end, I wanted to obviously 
coach and that's where I put a lot of my time and my energy, especially into that last year. And I was lucky that I I passed in the 29th uh, round of the year and we were at Warwick and Brock was out there and I said, have I done it? And he goes, I don't know. And he left me on that until the presentations and then he announced it and I was just, oh, the biggest relief I've, was um, it was done. And, yeah, it, it, look, if, if I hadn't have passed, I don't know if I would have actually been here now. Um, yeah because it took such a toll on me after that and I really didn't enjoy playing golf for a good 18 months after as well. But, yeah, I, I probably I wouldn't have it any other way now. But, uh, it's a challenge at the time by the sounds of things. Oh, yeah. It, and, you know, like there was there was some gun golfers that went through our group. Um, but it's, it's what you wanted out of it. If you wanted to play and you were a good golfer, it was always going to be easy. And I guess for me, like we obviously had scholarships on the line as well, and that scholarship made a big difference at the end of the day. So obviously I was lucky enough to get second in our second year and then win the final year. So that gave me a big boost in my uh, first year out as a, as a professional to start developing on things that I wanted to do. I have to give rock a clip for being mean to you on that last right. match because I'm sure I've, he knew exactly what was going on. Oh, that bloke, I tell you, I love him. But uh, when we sat two weeks before that at Mount Warren and he said, there's nothing I can do, you've got to pass, or that's it. And I'm looking at him going, come on, come on, buddy, just like, just help me out here. I was like, <laughs> please. And just to, to, to state the fact, and I think you've, you've, hit, you've hit it on the head um, perfectly, and I think this is kind of where the training program's headed more into the future is into that specialist way. Like mm. you, you've chosen to go down that coaching path, and you're obviously killing it in that in that space, which mm. we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but and to be brutally honest, the training program isn't going to turn out tool players. It's not built for that type of pathway as a general yeah. rule. Um, so being able to specialize and do what you did and and do what you did, and you did graduate first in your in your third year. So just to reinforce that point, it's a pretty awesome story to, to go through like it, that with all that pressure on your playing and still top of the um. I of still the, remember the side of things. The, I still remember the day I was out the back filling range balls up, and um, Matt Street called, and we knew I was close, but we didn't know kind of how close I was. And anyway, put him on speaker and. My boss Joe was there, and um, Matt goes, "Oh, Asha, you've um, you came first. And I just remember my boss just picking me up and throwing me up in the air, and we were crying. <laughs> and it was because he knew how hard that last year was. Um, so that was, I guess, the biggest thing for us was getting that phone call and that scholarship was just the icing on what was a very, very difficult kind of year, I guess. I've um I've had the pleasure of doing a few of those phone calls and they are nice to do when you get the because <laughs> you nice. can you can see how hard the trainees work when they go through the program as a general rule and they're yeah. they're, they're putting in and they're trying hard especially trainees like you who do work hard and you can see that you're putting the time in and to be able to make those phone calls is is really cool so if if you don't mind speaking about it, I'm curious to know like you said you had some some real tough times getting through that playing in that last year and had to see a, a sports psych as well do you mind expanding on that a, a bit and how you found that yeah so um i guess 
Joey and I had a monthly meeting and it, it involved me sitting on the floor crying and him holding my hand and telling me everything was going to be okay. So um, that was how our kind of reviews went every month. And it probably got midway and I ended up um, I ended up in a bit of a hospital scare, so not nothing major, um, but it kind of shook me up for a little bit and I remember sitting one Monday with Laurie so um and I said I can't do this I said I'm freaking out I I said this is it like I I can't do it and obviously like Laurie my partner's um with the Queensland Academy of Sports so he got on to his psychologist who's Jonah Oliver and he said mate she needs you and he and he said look I'm I'm you know I'm full and he goes, she won't pass without you. He goes, I need you to, like, whatever you can do, however much, you know, just can you see her? And I was obviously fortunate enough to work with Jonah for several sessions. And between that and I guess Joe and Laurie, that was what kind of got me over the line in that last six months. Um, but, yeah, there was no... There was no desire to play. There was no desire to train. I really, it was a really mentally tough kind of like the light was at the end of the tunnel, but it was so dim that it nearly hurt. Um, and yeah, I'd rock up numb and just to an event and go, I, I don't even know. And just, just didn't enjoy it. And you could see it all over my face. Like I was so negative about about it all because I never wanted to play anyway so I kind of felt like it was a bit of a kick a kick in the guts really that my professional um membership was banked on something that I didn't want to do anyway and that I guess that's hurt a bit but um yeah obviously with Jonah made a massive difference and he kind of gave me a better understanding to it all again the why like why we do the things we do and and it was only a couple of sessions but even that just made so much more sense when we we're out in that golf course and I had Laurie out there a fair bit as well caddying for me just to keep me in check because we knew how tough it was going to be. What was some of the strategies that you, you used to to get past that? Um, I guess it was more understanding what you can and can't control I think that was the biggest thing ever and to this day I still explain that to people that I coach because obviously we had that playing average over our heads and I remember one day it just poured down with rain and the best score was two over and I get that, you know, someone goes, oh, we're all out there for the same thing and I'm like, yeah, it is, but if two overs the winner, everyone's over their average for the whole day. Like it's it's actually hurting us more than it's kind of helping. and um yeah, I guess that's where he explained and said, you know, can you control this? Can you control that? And when we went through all of that, it made me realise a little bit more of what I can and can't actually control and then refocus onto what I can do more so and try to take the positives out of it as opposed to the negatives. That's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's obviously um, was a tough 12 months for you to get through there, but I'm sure you've come out the other end stronger for yeah. it. Yeah, and I look back now and I kind of, I still hated it, don't get me wrong. Um, and I, like I said before, I actually don't know if I would have gone for it another year. Like 
it wasn't like I was that far out of it. I was about 0.1 with two rounds to go and that's what hurt more than anything. It wasn't like I was 10 shots off. I was literally 0.1 and that was like, yeah, painful. It would have been. And did I do I recall correctly that you were doing extra study? On, you were doing TPI and stuff, weren't you, in year three before you even graduated, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so no. I'm, it's yeah. all self-inflicted now. Now yeah. it all comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. And obviously, like, I didn't have to try and get that scholarship in the last year and I probably could have spent the hours that I focused on assignments um, on my practice and my playing. But again, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn. I wanted to go down that route. So to me, that was more important in getting a better head start for my coaching than it was for me to focus on the plane, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So you've killed it in the end, finally. You've, you've, you've snuck through on your plane, but killed it in the, all other parts of the trainee program, which is really cool. Yeah. Got out there. <laughs> The goal was to obviously specialise in juniors, I'm guessing. Is that because you, you went down the TPI junior program, didn't you? So that was yeah, the pathway so, you took? Yeah, so after it, I went and did TPI, golfed uh, the level two, the junior level two, a uh, couple of other certifications. I redesigned the program, the junior program, pretty much as soon as I got out of the traineeship. And, I mean, we had a really good junior program but we I always wanted to take it to that next level I wanted to be the best training like junior program and we had such a good bank of juniors that deserved the energy that they put into us I guess so um whilst I wanted to specialize in juniors I've always I guess had like I said ages ago um I think like when we did a bit of a news release one day that, yeah, I wanted to give those juniors what we kind of didn't get. So that was my my main goal and making sure I knew exactly what to do for every athlete and that's why I went down the TPI path as well because um, obviously they're so good at what they do in that junior space and really helped us to refine our structure and what we wanted and then grow it to what it is today. So talk me through how you've set the, the program up and why you've chosen that certain that type of structure for how you've set the, the programs up at your club. Yeah, so we now have, I think we figured it out, it was nine, nine different levels of junior program ranging from six years old to 16 or 17 and I, I took a lot of it from that TPI model where you develop the athlete first and the golfer second and in those first groups, it's all about the fundamentals uh, and then developing obviously that through to now having a high-performance program as well encompassed in that junior academy. So for me, it was making sure that they had a stepping stone. They had significant differences in development um, and they could see that going through the levels as well as a, as a structure point of view. And then we added in a monthly junior comp. We've Obviously, at the moment, we're actually now at a wait list. So our junior membership's capped, our junior academy's capped. Uh, we have a wait list already for term two, which is really, it's a good thing, but it's also a really hard thing to tell a kid that they've got to wait because they can't get in. So it's a, a damn if you do, damn if you don't kind of situation. But we've now got 80 kids who attend weekly clinics regularly and actually want to be there. And I think that was the biggest thing for us is, we got it from these kids that were there because they had to be to know that we want to we want to be there. And I guess in that structure, we make sure we're out on course every 
fourth week with the kids as well. So they're always getting that golf, um, the playing aspect as well as just the training. And I think that's where those competitions come in as well. They can really go and test their skills and they play short courses. Um, They referred to it as easy the other day, which was really fun when I watched my B8 kids go and play from 100 metres and they said, oh, this will be easy. I said, righto, come on. And um, they averaged, I think, three greens. I said, how easy? And they said, yeah, I'll never say that ever again. So, you know, it, it was cool. But we our B3s go out and they'll play from 100 metres as well. So t- really test them and kind of get them um, excited to shoot low scores as opposed to, you know, discouraged because they're having big scores. So, yeah. Yeah, that is that. That's a, that's a powerful tool, and I don't think coaches realize. I think they're starting to now, but mm. um, shorter courses get them used to shooting pars and birdies as early yeah. as possible. Is a really really cool strategy, and it sounds like you've got it set up perfectly there. Yeah, like we're we're very lucky. We've obviously got three spare holes at the club too, so we're able to take them out on a Saturday in the middle of the main field, go and use the other spare holes, and they can go and practice there afterwards as well. So it. it Something you definitely take for granted, I guess, when you go somewhere else and they go, oh, yeah, we've got one spare hole, which is still amazing. But the fact that we've got three, we can set our junior comps up on that and not bother anybody else. Yeah, which is kind of – that's what's curious. So which club are you at now? You're at Brisbane Golf Club? Is that, yeah, is that so right? I'm at uh, Brisbane, yep. So that's a private club. Um, yes. How do you get the support that you need from the club? How, how good are they with the kids? They're incredible. Our committee is amazing. Um, our current president was actually the one who decided to come up with Junior Academy Golfer of the Year that gets presented every year at the presentation night, like the main one. So they are very pro. They're pro golf, they're pro juniors, they're pro women um, and girls, which is really nice when you've got all these plans and everything and they're on board, which is which is great. So, yeah, we're a private club. Um and to be in our academy, you have to be a member of the club as well. So they have that sense of a culture, I guess, you know, and those kids go and practice after school and they have their little friends and it's more of a community than just a golf lesson once a week. Which is awesome. If you can build that that group because it's, it's a challenging space. I watched my son. Um, he's just started showing some just in golf, thank goodness. He's only been 12 years. So just uh, He played every sport except for golf, but he's starting to show some golf interest now. But um, it's you're watching play team sports and you've got you're in a group of kids your own age and you're with your mates and you're playing team sports and you're encouraging each other and it, it's fun. And then golf can be a challenge sometimes if you're, you're that only kid that plays golf and you haven't got – your friends around you so it sounds like you've set it up well that they've got that that group type of type yeah. of team bonding get thing going yeah and i mean like we've got oh 24 20 something girls throughout our academy oh, that's awesome um one clinic has more girls actually two clinics have more girls than boys which is really fun uh and, and i think that me being a female definitely helps that um, and even Joe said one day, he goes, there's stuff that he goes, you have a connection with these girls that I could never have. And it is really cool. You know, I've got, um, especially my high performance girls, they're kind of going through school and high school and knowing how to do everything right. So even being able to just take them, go, let's go to the park, let's, let's go for a walk, you know, get out whatever you need to. And it, with someone that they trusted, it might not be that I'm their main coach, but they have that 
obviously that trust in me and I have that care in them and I think that that's really, really important. Yeah. So how do you set up the different tiers of coaching? So you've obviously got the tier system because you, you were talking about the mm. different names yep. you've, you've given them. Mm-hmm. What does a typical coaching session look like for someone just starting out, for example? Uh, so our B123, so they're like our fundamentals where they're 60-minute classes um, and, you know, we go through those those basics. The The hardest thing we find, I guess, is when you have a 12-year-old come in that's never played golf and they obviously don't fit into the six- to nine-year-old category but they're probably not ready to go into another category, that's where we, I guess, we're still trying to tweak it and learn and everything like that. Um but, yeah, so very much fun-based, very actually learn how to move your body-based. We we were talking about posture on Saturday and we were doing happy seagull, wounded seagull, stomach ache seagull, and for that was their arm posture. So happy seagulls flapping their arms and then wounded seagulls were their, their arms being hanging straight down because they got injured arms and then stomach ache was like oof because their, their stomach sore. So getting them to tuck their pelvis under, um, which you look at anyone else and I'm telling kids to do that or I'm telling a lady to turn the lawnmower on and pull the cord back, something like that probably looks really, really weird, but um, but to us it works. And then as you, you go up, it becomes more specified. Uh, and then in our train category, there's two-hour sessions. So that's a bit more outcome-based shot selection uh, in the gym with stability, mobility, stamina and that kind of thing as well so trying to like i said before grow that um whole athlete as opposed to just a golfer okay now i'm gonna ask the question i'm sure you you get because i asked all the the specialist junior coaches um all that stuff sounds great by the way don't get me wrong i think it's (laughs) it's an awesome way to set up junior coaching and it's the way junior coaching should be done yeah there's going to be the sideline coaches. There's going to be the parents sitting on the sideline <laughs> saying, what are you doing getting them to kick soccer balls and do yeah. stuff and do stuff that's not standing on the range hitting golf balls? How do yeah. you deal with that? Um, we actually we did a um, an information night. So we got the parents to come along even if they'd been in the academy before and we went through all that stuff and we made it very black and white at the start that this is how it's going to be. And as they come through, we probably haven't done it as much, but it is in our brochure of what we do and kind of why we do. So I think now none of them really question it, which is really nice. We we tend to try and keep the parents out of it. We actually have a, a policy that parent and kid has to sign uh, when they join the academy, which is about their behaviour, dress code, you know, etiquette, um, that sideline coach kind of thing as well. So we're very... Uh, structured at the start to kind of go this is how it's going to be this is this is how we run it and you know you sign on that dotted line and you go with it or you don't yeah and again people have heard me say this on the podcast a lot you would have heard me say the training schools as well you just got to keep the the communication lines open you have to teach them what you teach them i'm doing this for this reason yeah uh, and, like, really you know, we have a kid that goes, oh, but I can shoot 43 off the reds. And I said, okay, well, 100 metres shouldn't be a problem then, you, should you know. You break part yeah, from 100 pretty, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, that's really cool. Um, and you, how big are the class sizes? You said you had 70 or 80 kids in the program. Yep. So do you, you try and keep the class sizes small or, or yeah. how, do you, how do you set yeah, them up? Yeah, so 
we we're lucky. We have a lot of um, PGA professionals, and our young ones have a ratio of five to one. So there's two coaches in every session. The older ones have a ratio of six to one. So it's very um, personal. And Joe is adamant of that 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 will never change because we like the idea of keeping it small and um, nice and neat for the kids. I guess we don't like the idea of a lot of kids with one coach and not a lot of um, contact time. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I like that. I like that. Um, give yourself a bit of a wrap. How many prizes have you won for your junior program? There's a few shields, I'm sure, hanging on the wall now. Yeah, so um, shock to us. We won the 2021 Junior Academy of the Year or Program of the Year for Queensland. We were nominated last year as well. Um, so far, just the one. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's probably since we've had that big rehaul and over COVID and everything like that as well. So before that, juniors weren't really the biggest focus. Um, so we kind of look at the growth since, I guess, 2017. We had about 20 kids that attended twice a week and we've turned that into, yeah, 80, 80 kids that attend regular sessions. So for us, that that means more than awards. We have, you know, these kids that continually want to come back and. That's what golf is for us at the end of the day. If I can get a kid to turn up every single week and they're going home happy, then my day's made. Yeah, you're happy with it. That sounds that sounds really really cool. Um, can you expand a bit on TPI Juniors? I'm obviously I'm, I'm guessing most coaches out there have heard of the TPI program, but I don't know how many would have gone down the the TPI Junior pathway. So I'm curious what your thoughts were on that program and the kind of stuff that was covered in that. I I thought it was brilliant. I think it was a, if I could have done anything straight out of the traineeship, it was that and that golf level too through them. Um, I've always been kind of a big believer of TPI. My when I had a bad back at sixteen, my physio was TPI qualified, so he got me back to where I was. And obviously, I put two and two together, and to me, that meant that you know TPI was where it needed to be. So. I guess they go through everything. They go through the phases. They go through why you need to do what, uh, when you speed, how growth, uh, how to distinguish girls and boys, growing rates and maturity and how to how to even talk to a kid differently. Um, they say that as they get older, girls, you need to do it with them. But boys, you need to challenge them. So you take like little things like that and, and you put those into your programs. Um, they were they have a screening tool and I guess this goes back to how we place the kids in each level, but we do testing every semester. So we can see that the kids are progressing. We can also see over the years how that student's gone as well. So if a parent does go, well, why hasn't my student moved up? Now, this is the hardest thing we've found. A lot of the kids are actually improving significantly and the scoring's getting better over the last two years, but we're just having to change. So the kids that were in B2 are now still in B2, but they're doing the skills of B3 because we just don't have the levels to move them up because they're all still full. So it's just been a bit more adaptive with that. But I, I think it was the best thing. If anyone ever wanted to get into juniors and do it properly, that was hands down the best money, best anything you could have ever done if you wanted to, in my opinion. How much how much training is actually involved in doing those courses? Is it is it all in person all, or is it all online? No, so do, level twos are all online through TPI. Level three is when you actually have to go and attend. So you can do it at your own pace. 
um, a lot of videos, a lot of talking about drills, a lot of reading. Um, I haven't looked at it for a little bit in terms of the theory. I always go back on there to check the drills or check the screenings and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, it was probably a good – if you sat down and did it all properly and wrote it out and made a game plan, you'd be there for a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're flat out doing juniors, but are you doing any other coaching, any <laughs> private coaching on top of that? Uh, you could, Yeah, you could say that. I um, So I'm now the Women and Junior Development Manager, so I run obviously the entire junior program. I also run our Ladies Let's Golf program um which is a whole membership thing it's got all the clinics i do specialized clinics private lessons um i also help the brisbane district golf association with their development program so i structure and run that program which started last year um, and is continuing to go on as well so definitely my fingers are in a lot of different areas in terms of coaching um which which is fun i'd rather it that way um, but majority of my time would be spent with ladies and junior clinics. Well, it sounds like the, the third year of the trainee program was just a warm-up for the rest of your career. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I look at it now and, um, you know, I, I mark assignments for the PGA as on the side as well. So I studied for that last year as well as my Cert 3 in fitness. So I figure if you're not learning, you're not growing, but um, throw that so in. So throw that into the hold mix. on a sec. So you've, <laughs> done, so you've done a Cert 3 in fitness and yep. a Cert 4 in training and assessment as well. Yep, yep. On top um, of everything else. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, strive for greatness is, you know. Um, no, look, I, I love learning and I think I it's what I do. That Some people love it, some people hate it, and to me, it's it's the best form of growth for me. I love learning new ways. Um, I love experimenting and testing things out and putting it in my own perspective. So, yeah, um, I like to keep busy. Um, obviously, Laurie's away, you know, 15, 20 weeks of the year, so I've got to keep myself entertained somehow. So for me, that's that's coaching and learning and, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I've, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's really cool. Um, so you is there much of a difference between the way you coach the kids as the way you coach the women that come out in your starter programs? Uh, not necessarily. I think that um, it, it is quite interesting. Like you've just got to be as engaging and um, active with a six-year-old that you do with a lady coming through because that experience you give them is going to determine whether they continue, whether they become a member, whether they even play golf ever again. So. Um, very similar concepts but we go through a lot um more and and sometimes i get you know oh is that too advanced for them and i'm like well no it's just part of everything you know i can i can teach them how to putt and how to hold a club but if they don't know the distance control and how important it is well you know yes it it makes like there's a lot of information coming through all at once but you kind of need it to make it all make sense anyway so um yeah keep it inviting keep it fun lots of drills get to know them you know i i finished a series today and we sat down had a coffee afterwards and we talked about anything they wanted to talk about and i make a point of sitting down with most of my clinics now after the series has ended just to just to sit down and if they've got any other questions or 
you know, these ladies are about to go into that next phase and join as our pathway kind of program and membership. And yeah, if they've got the questions and that kind of thing, you you want to have them answered and you want to know that they can always come to you and you're that main point of contact now as well. Awesome. Really cool. Um, now, I, moving topics, I had the pleasure of sitting back in my comfy chair here and watching you give a presentation to the full PGA members recently, which I thought was was awesome. Um, it's great to see young coaches put themselves out there and actually stand up for the stuff that they're actually doing. And they're, you, you're doing it great by the sounds of things. It's good to see you put that out there. Um, so how did you find that experience? horrendous it was (laughs) oh god it was nerve-wracking um we had pushed that thing back i think for nine months there was always something according to me and joe why we couldn't do it no like we we always wanted to do it um it it's quite intimidating being so early out to being asked to put a presentation like that together because you're like surely there's someone else out there that has more experience about this stuff that could be doing it so for me I guess I was a little bit nervous, but at the same time, I knew that there was a reason why we got asked. Um, and if Joe wasn't there, I probably would have wouldn't have done it as uh, smoothly as we did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it it was really cool. It was actually um, you look back at it now, it's amazing that I even got the opportunity so young or so early on to actually talk about something that we're passionate about. You certainly came across extremely professionally, so don't even think that you, you did a bad job of it because it came across really, really yeah. well. So <laughs> Glad it did. For those that didn't get a chance to tune into it, explain the topic you guys presented on. Uh, we, we presented, I think it was something about the generation of junior golf. So it was literally talking about what we've talked about tonight, the structure of our junior program, uh, a big one about keeping girls in it actually. There was a fair few questions about that towards the end. Um, and you know our philosophies and that kind of thing and what we do to keep our kids going yeah and i would encourage anyone that hasn't seen it if you're an australian pga pro tuning into the podcast definitely sign up for it. i'm sure it's on in the ace program now by now i'm sure yeah. josh would have got it cut up and put up on the ace program now so you'd be able to sign up for it and check it out if you didn't get a chance to see it live because it was a good presentation and it's just good to see young coaches pushing good quality junior programs out there. So, it yeah. Was, yeah, it was good to see. You should be really proud of yourself. It was an awesome presentation. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to throw some questions at you that I throw all the guests that come on the podcast. Yep. So you don't get out of it this quite so easily now. So you get the the standard questions. So what advice would you have for, for young coaches coming out of their apprenticeship or coming into the, the golf industry now? Learn. Um It's a pretty standard theme for you at the moment. Look, um, find your niche, find what you actually enjoy doing and coaching and go all out in that. You know, I don't like the range. Um, I actually find it a little numb and boring a bit. I I just find short game so much more creative and that's probably because of my background in what I had to practice as a junior. But um, if you want to be good at something, you go in at 100%, you know, be known for being good at that thing and then develop on it from there. I I think the niche thing and just continuing to learn and, you know, you're going to, there's so many coaches out there and there's so many different ways and, you know, you throw an Instagram and a YouTube in there now and it can be so conflicting as well. So take it in, take it out, um, 
read everything with a grain of salt and pick the things that you like to do and some of it will resonate some of it won't and that's fine it's come across in all your answers so far i think that you found a place in the coaching world that you love spending time in and yep. you seem to enjoy what you do and you're out there doing it every day um you don't seem to be struggling to go to work because you, you, you're enjoying the stuff that you're doing yeah like i my boss is incredible and my assistant director of golf is incredible and my ceo is incredible and honestly it may sound really soppy but going to work is the coolest part of my day half the time because i get to hang out with these people that treat you like family and you know they you know they've got your back they know you've got yours and it goes back to the start of this is kind of like that little secret society where we know what we're doing and why we're doing it and whoever's not in that circle doesn't you know their opinion doesn't really matter to the three of us or four of us that are in that because we know exactly why we're doing it that's great love it um advice for golfers out there this is obviously <laughs> golfers are constantly scouring social media and podcasts yep. for information so what yeah. advice have you got for golfers out there um measure it so really identify and don't just guess so you know people go oh I'm a bad putter or whatever, but is it that or is it your chipping? You know, actually get a stats program and start keeping the track of things because it'll make it a lot better. Um, once you do that, learn how to practice effectively because you see so many people out there that just go and practice with kind of no intent. And I think that's a big part for me. That's one of my favorite things is teaching people how to practice properly. So if you can measure everything and figure out where your flaws are and then make purposeful practice around that you'll you'll see your shots you know off your handicap decrease so quickly and there may be a technical element to it but a lot of the time it's it's not it's about actually just putting it where it needs to be and making that weakness a strength and i'm pretty sure uh dustin johnson once said that he goes i don't train my strengths i train my weaknesses to be you know as good as the bad of my strength and that's the difference that makes so much sense and you i'm sure you see it just as much as i used to see you see they all go and practice the shots they're already good at they don't practice yeah. their weaknesses and half the time they don't even understand what their what their bad shots are what their bad yeah. clubs are because they don't keep stats so what you said that early on there is start keeping track of what you're doing and you'll start to identify yeah. the parts that need to be improved and we've done that i i guinea pigged one of my good mates and you know, he, he started off 18 and I said, I'm going to give you this plan and you're going to do it for eight weeks and tell me how you go. And he comes back to me in eight weeks, he goes, eight shots. We hadn't touched technique. It was literally learning how to train and our high-performance kids now get a subscription to a stats program. So I review that every month. They get a new training plan every month. Um, if their golf link doesn't match up to their stats, they get emails from me going, why? Because obviously if they're not putting it all in, um, if they don't have anything in their stats, they get a blank piece of paper because they don't deserve this, you know, there's nothing to train if I don't know what they're training and what they're doing. So they get a blank piece of paper and they go, well, where's mine? And I'm like, well, you put your stats in, you get one. So, um, so you physically hand them a blank piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I print, so they've, they've got folders and I print it all out and it's got their drills. It's got their benchmarks um, for the four weeks and everything like that. And, it's kind of like, I guess, a to-do list at work. But, yeah, I've, I've had a kid who he said to me, we started high performance two weeks ago, and he goes, oh, Asha, I promise I'll be better. Um, 
you know, I'll put my rounds in and one of the other kids pipes up and goes, not hard to be better when last year you put zero in. So there's, you know, a little bit of cheap talk there. Um, But, you know, then I've got a kid in that same academy that's put 48 rounds in. So, you know, he gets a training plan whenever he wants one because I know that he's going to do it and we know that it's all relevant to what he's currently, you know, his trends are. Yeah, awesome. Um, give the program a, a plug, the, the stats program that you use. Which uh, one we use you? Shots to Hole. Okay, so there's a, yep. there's a few floating around, so Shots to Hole is one yeah, of them. Yeah, I've personally, I find it very, I mean, it's no strokes gained, um, but it gives them what they need to know. It, these kids have never had, you know, a stats program before, so it shows them how often they're in that position and their dispersion and how many shots from that distance. So. To me, that gives you everything you kind of need. Now, there's probably, I know there's plenty others out there and they can do plotting and strokes gained and all that. Um, to me, that's the one I've kind of always always had and I think that's because, you know, even through QAS with Laurie, when we started doing training plans for him, it was all through shots to hole. So I, it was just something I, I kind of knew and, yeah, went with. Yeah, makes sense. If you want to tune back into one of the – had Stewie on the podcast recently, or yeah. not recently, one of the early episodes. Yeah. So anyone who's tuning in can scroll back and find Stewie's episode. He talks – we talk a fair bit about how Shots to Hole came about. So it's worth yeah. worth exploring. Mm. But, again, I think, you, I think you're right. If you find something that you're comfortable with and the kids will use, then that's the right program for you, isn't it? Yeah, and, I mean, as a coach, it's, it's not the kids um, – job to find out what they're doing wrong that's my job so if it can be input easy for the kids and i can get in and see what's going on then it makes it easier i don't need those kids to decipher their own golf games that's what they're that's what i'm there for so um if you had a had a chance to go back and change anything in your life or career up till now apart from that last year's playing yeah, so pass for playing in the first year would have been really nice is there anything um, that you would you would change if you had the choice the chance no, no, um, not really. No, I think that, you know, it's everything we've done. I mean, COVID was obviously, it was actually a time where, again, we looked at it as um, a player and that went, you can look at this and go, I'm going to catch up to everyone that's ahead of me or I can let them get further ahead. So we kind of looked at that with everything with us as well and started to bridge those gaps. But there's there's not one thing that I'd I'd change since that traineeship or coming out of it. Yeah, I've no, got no problem with that, and that seems to be a common answer to that to that mm. question too. So, again, zero issues with that answer. Um, you can answer this one either one topic or both, up to you. Or um, where do you see yourself or coaching in general in five years' time? Um, it, it's a funny one. Like I kind of I thought I knew where I wanted to be. I love the high-performance space, I, I do, and I've obviously been fortunate enough to be around it recently and lately, um, but it sounds cliche. I, I'd be happy doing what, what I currently do. I'd be happy doing whatever I do as long as I enjoy doing it and I'm around people that want to do it with me kind of thing. So five to ten years, I'd also love to be a wag and not working, but, hey, well, uh, <laughs> you know, Um but no, I love my coaching. I, I don't see myself moving from Brisbane. Um, what I have there, just I've got so much growth if I want it and it's it's up to me to take it and that's a really cool thing to come out of your traineeship, have the same job and then build another role and just keep growing it from there. So I think that 
I'll leverage that for a bit, um, still learn, still grow, and, you know, we see where five to ten years is, but if if I'm still doing what I'm doing and I'm loving it, then I'd be happy as well. We'll have to get you on the on the podcast again when you've got 300 juniors in your program in a, yeah, a few years' time. We'll get you in to yeah. talk about how you deal with that bigger group. Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't grow it that much. Yeah, no, no, come on, set your boundaries. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, okay, so I'm always interested in further uh, training as well and further learning. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm doing further study currently as well at the moment. Yeah. So I'm a bit the same way as you. But where do you go for your further learning apart from your formal education? Is there any podcasts you tune into, um, any, any websites that you, you hit up, social media people? I, I don't. I'm really bad for a young person. I don't like social media. Like okay. I, I want to – to some extent get into it but at the same time I'm always worried about what people like if people misunderstand the information or you know obviously it's the whole fix your slice on YouTube doesn't you know the the person who's making it doesn't actually know what's who's watching it right so I get a bit nervous on that end um I guess I I seek out um coaches around me so I've spent time with Dave Simpson at RQ uh, Tony Myers, one of my mentors that, you know, I go to for a lot of advice, whether that be what to study or even jobs or, you know, something like that as well, I think is really cool. Um, we went to America last year, so I was actually able to go to TPI, which was incredible. Um, and we went to a couple other places as well. But I think for me, it's I get stuck in that space of where to go next for my learning. So I just kind of reach out to the people that do what they do really well and try and seek out where they get their information from and and go from there, I guess. I think I think we're fortunate in the golf industry that most of the, the high performance, high performing coaches, not high performance coaches, yeah. high performance coaches are really approachable. Yeah. We're always happy to answer questions. Like I found that even doing the podcast, if I send someone a quick text or something, can you come on the show? They're quite keen to actually come and have a chat, which is which is really cool. Yeah, and, and I think Australians, we're so lucky like that. And, I mean, in Queensland, I'm going to be biased, but we've got some of the best coaches. So to have those at your fingertips and, you know, I said that when we went to America last year, I sat down with Joe before that and I said, oh, who should I go see? And he goes, well, who do you want to see? And he goes, You've got Dave Phillips, he's TPI, like what more do you, you know, that's who you want. You don't have to go searching that far if you trust what's, you know, what you've already got. So, um, yeah, like obviously there's so much out there to learn and that. And I do see other golfers on Instagram and I kind of see what they're learning and I have a squiz and maybe that's something that I'll go down the track with. Um, but my next venture is probably a bit more into – the short game area even more so than what it is now and also the mental space for me sounds good sounds good thank you so much for your time tonight i really appreciate you coming have a chat to me it no was, worries um, at all it was great awesome conversation um you said you're not really into socials but have you got anything out there we can plug any <laughs> links we can put in the show notes and people can find you ah it's um my website's performancexah.com.au that's probably what i use the most um yep and just Asha Hargraves on Instagram. So okay, I will put some links in the show notes. Pretty simple one there, um, but, yeah. 
if, if people are keen to, to start a conversation then explore what you're doing in that junior space certainly encourage you to reach out yeah definitely um, always always up for a chat especially when it comes to that kind of stuff because you know i still we all get stuck sometimes as well so being able to reach out to someone else and just run ideas off is is really really cool that's great thanks so much for your time tonight asha we'll talk again really really soon thanks brenton